Over the next four Sundays, we are going to read and ponder Jesus' discourse in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17, which you just heard read. It will be our gospel reading for each Sunday, each successive Sunday. And the sermon series based on it, I'm calling The Embedded Christian, and that needs some explanation. Ten times in this passage we are told to abide in Jesus, or what will result if we abide in him. You might think then that I would call the series The Abiding Christian. But that word, while it's a faithful translation of the Greek verb meno, from which we get the English word remain, is rather archaic in tone. Shepherds abiding in the fields, and so forth. We don't use it very much in our conversational English. Abiding also has an almost exclusively sense of duration over time, without the sense of penetrating depth and stubborn perseverance in commitment. So I've chosen the word embedded instead of abiding. In the Gulf War, you may remember, reporters were embedded with military units. They traveled with them, lived with them, faced danger with them. Even without its connotations as the place of sexual intimacy, bed is a place that most of us look forward to. Certainly I do. And to be in bed with somebody means to have them as an ally, to work closely with them, to share their agenda and their priorities. So why not think about being in bed with Jesus? about being an embedded Christian, as opposed to being a shallow-rooted, lip-serving, culturally conditioned, double-minded, half-hearted follower of his. In these 17 verses of John chapter 15, Jesus is trying to prepare his followers to withstand the shock of his departure, which he has just announced. And not just the shock of his departure, but the trauma of the manner of it. Arrest, flogging, a public trial, and a painful and humiliating death on a Roman cross. Jesus wants his followers bound to himself with strong and durable bonds of faith and commitment that can withstand these shocks. And he wants us as latter-day followers to be able to withstand disappointments and defeats and reversals and tragedies and disillusionments and even betrayals while remaining embedded in him. I want to be the sort of Christian who prays early in a crisis rather than as a last resort, who helps others in a disaster rather than needing attention and support myself who receives bad medical news with a trusting acceptance that God is in charge, who reacts to rejection and slander, not with an angry, defensive lashing out, but with a patient witness to the truth. I want to be like the German Jesuit priest, Father Alfred Delft, who whispered to the prison chaplain on the way to his execution for resisting the Nazis in half an hour. I will know more than you. I want to be this way in the face of death.
In short, I want to be an embedded Christian. And I hope you do too. A life is a dreadful thing to waste. So each week we will investigate one aspect of what it means to be an embedded Christian. Today, pruned by the word. July 20th, empowered in prayer. July 27th, commanded to love. And August 3rd, shared with as friends. Pruned by the word. Pruned. Now, this word may be unfamiliar to you if you are not a gardener or an arborist. It has nothing to do with dried plums. Pruning, as Jesus develops the metaphor, is the cutting away both of dead wood and unproductive wood from our lives. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, my Father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And verse 6 contains a solemn warning. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. In our first reading from Isaiah chapter 5, Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, but it is being punished for producing violence and injustice rather than the fruits of righteousness. In our psalm, Psalm 80, there is a thrice-repeated plea for God's deliverance. Restore us, O God, let your face shine, that we may be saved. And again, Israel is the vine of God's planting. And again, it is under punishment for sin. In verses 17 and 18, the psalmist foresees a deliverer. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Perhaps this background is why Jesus begins our gospel reading with the words, I am the true vine, and my Father, as in Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80, is the vine dresser. Jesus is saying that he is the true Israel of God, replacing a rebellious people in order to redeem them and us. But how are you and I to be pruned? What in this metaphor is the pruning saw or the loppers? Verse 3 makes it clear. Already you are clean, that is pruned, because of the word that I have spoken to you. And in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So it is the word of Jesus that prunes us, that makes us clean, not only of that which is dead and diseased in our lives, but of that which is good but distracting, competing with God's priorities for us. And how does the word come to us that we may be pruned? How does it do its work in the words of Hebrews chapter 4? sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, 
discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It comes to us first and foremost in Scripture, which is the Word of God, as the Spirit applies it to our situation. Friends, we're not talking here about a literary study of Scripture, as valuable as that may be. We are talking about what the ancients called Lectio Divina, divine reading, in which we sit before Scripture as the Word of God, asking God to speak to us through it and show us its application and meaning for our lives. If you begin to feel smug and self-satisfied, I recommend reading Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. They will work like a spray of cold salt water in your face, arousing your slumbering conscience. An embedded Christian is one who sits before the Word of God in Scripture on a regular basis, not just a brief glance at a daily devotional or in a weekly group Bible study. Here is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote in 1936 in the middle of his struggle against the Nazis about reading the Bible. First of all, I will confess quite simply, I believe that the Bible alone is the answer to all our questions, and that we need only to ask repeatedly and a little humbly in order to receive this answer. One cannot simply read the Bible like other books. One must be prepared really to inquire of it. Only then will it reveal itself. Only if we expect from it the ultimate answer shall we receive it. That is because in the Bible, God speaks to us. And one cannot simply think about God in one's own strength. One has to inquire of him. Only if we seek him will he answer us. Of course, it is possible to read the Bible like any other book. That is to say, from the point of view of textual criticism, etc., there is nothing to be said against that. Only that is not the method which will reveal to us the heart of the Bible, but only the surface. Just as we do not grasp the words of someone we love by taking them to bits, but by simply receiving them, so that for days they go on lingering in our minds, simply because they are the words of a person we love. And just as these words reveal more and more of the person who said them as we go on like Mary, pondering them in our heart, so it will be with the words of the Bible. Only if we will venture to enter into the words of the Bible, as though in them this God were speaking to us, who loves us and does not will to leave us alone with our questions, only so shall we learn to rejoice in the Bible. It is I who determine, if it is I who determine where God is to be found, then I shall always find a God who corresponds to me in some way, who is obliging, who is connected to my own nature. But if God determines where he is to be found, then it will be in a place which is not immediately pleasing to my nature and which is not at all congenial to me. This place is the cross of Christ. And whoever would find him must go to the foot of the cross, as the Sermon on the Mount commands. This is not according to our nature at all. It is entirely contrary to it. But this is the message of the Bible, not only in the New, but also in the Old Testament. And I would like to tell you now quite personally, since I have learned to read the Bible in this way, 
and this has not been for so very long, it becomes every day more wonderful to me. I read it in the morning and the evening, often during the day as well. And every day I consider a text which I have chosen for the whole week and try to sink deeply into it so as really to hear what it is saying. I know that without this, I could not live properly any longer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was an embedded Christian. So scripture, if we allow it, can expose our sinfulness and shallowness, separating us from what would otherwise only lead to separation from God, which is, of course, death. But scripture also focuses us. Its promises and warnings and injunctions help us to see what in our lives is perfectly good, done well, giving pleasure without sin, but simply not our priority, not our calling, and thus a distraction. Scripture simplifies us and sharpens us for the work of God. And if we are rooted in Scripture, we understand the events of our lives in its light. The mischance, the lost opportunity, the unexpected rejection, the unanticipated reversal can all be understood as God's pruning. A dependent relationship we are in ends, and we are painfully and reluctantly freed to grow. A professional opportunity is closed off, and our ministry in the Christian community has more of our time and energy. Sometimes the pruning will be severe. If the time ever comes when I am wheelchair-bound and visually impaired, I trust I will receive this pruning as an opportunity to spend more time in intercessory prayer. The word of Jesus comes to us first and foremost through scripture, but it also comes in other ways, through listening prayer, the counsel of friends, spiritual direction. On the morning of our 46th wedding anniversary, last July 5th, I was convicted in prayer for my neglect of my best man, with whom I hadn't been in contact for 43 years. In truth, our friendship was marred, at least in, on my part, by a competitiveness, which is the polite name for jealousy. I knew my best man was a lawyer and thought that a Google search might uncover him. His first and last names, however, were very common. And then I remembered he had an unusual middle name. And I entered all three names into my Google search engine. And there he was, with even an email address, thanks to the local bar association. I sent him an email, thanking him for his friendship and for standing with me 46 years ago on our wedding day. And within two hours, I had a warm and appreciative response. Thus, guilt and neglect had been pruned away by a word to me from the Spirit in a time of prayer. Adversity has a way of pruning us all through the events of our lives, whether we are embedded Christians or not. But the embedded Christian rooted in Jesus and heeding his continuing word can trust God with what is happening and trust that the result can be more and not less fruitfulness. 
in our lives. And with this comes a sharing in Jesus' joy. For as we heard in the Gospel reading, he's the one who suffered the loss of everything to save the world and wants, according to the Gospel, to have his joy in us and for our joy to be fulfilled. This joy is the mark of the embedded Christian, and we experience it as we trust God and allow his word to prune us. Amen.